Good morning. Sorry, it's just dealing with a phone call. How are you? How are you? How is everyone? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good vlogmas. Good. Good. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day. Oh, how are you? Um, I saw a lot of chat there about was the boiler man coming or the gas man coming or something. Um, Ellery Jones, I'm having a breather sitting in the bus shelter now. Ellery, take a breather. Take one for us. Sending you all our love. Uh, big hugs. Um, Anna Kite, good morning, Vixen DD. If you're listening on podcast, welcome, welcome. Um, we won't be featuring too many photographs today, so you won't have to rush over to YouTube if you are listening. Um, it's December. It's December the 7th, <laughs> and we are about to land on Vlogmas number seven later today. Did you enjoy Vlogmas last night? I <laughs> I have to confess, I was editing something else whilst Nadia was premiering it, and then I got it's on in the background on another monitor, and uh, and I just got hooked in at how absolutely ridiculous the two of us are. I mean, what a pair of gaff-prone morons, hey? Talk about going away for a so-called sexy, uh, a so-called sexy, lovely time, and uh, it didn't work. How are you? How are you? Did you enjoy it? Uh, saucy vlogmas last night, Rosatch. It, it just didn't get saucy, though, did it? Didn't get saucy. Uh, Phil, I know you're a bit too well now, Mark, says Helen. Yeah, someone, I didn't see the comment, but someone said, uh, soap in a soap dish or something like that. <laughs> um, too funny. Uh, there are two of you in here with the same name and different profiles. Are they both you? Oh, Margaret O'Brien. Are they both you, Margaret O'Brien? That's a good question. Same name, different profiles. Oh, intriguing. Um, Susan Sellings really loved Vlogmas. You looked hilarious in the bath. Now, of course, you know, it, Vlogmas is all about shift, change. It's all about contrast. And a lot of you I know are hungry for the loft. Well, that certainly happens. Um, and uh, But, you know, things move, things evolve. Wouldn't it be just terrible if the same old shit happens all the time? But one thing I can tell you right now, there is for sure going to be some kind of drama around the trees. And yes, I'm pleased we've hit upon a new word for flip-flops. Dick flops. <laughs> it was the weirdest place. The weirdest, weirdest place. Good morning, Marina O'Driscoll. Hope you're well. Bring on the loft, says Susan Sellings. Looking trim, Mark. What are you doing? <laughs> Just lots and lots of exercise between every now and then having something I shouldn't eat for Christmas. Um, I was up very late last night. I, I was editing away and uh, yeah, I was. I was up late last night. Couldn't get to sleep. So always good. Just turn turn your attention to some work. Um, Borda Ellen. What does that, is that, is that hello? Is that welcome? Is that? Is that Welsh or Irish? I don't know. Um, uh, Vlogmas has been amazing. Thank you, Bev. It's, it's fun, isn't it? It's fun. And, and Dean is hysterical and uh, and annoying. Um, and Nadia is uh, hysterical and annoying. Lisa's been lovely. You've got lots more of Lisa coming. Woo! Have you got a lot more of Lisa coming? Uh, you've got lovely Lily. Lovely Lily is bouncing. And I think, in fact, I think Lee is featuring in tonight's um vlogmas so you've got all that to look forward to good morning in welsh border mark ah thank you ellen border is that am i pronouncing it correctly border border ellery why am i saying border why is that why am i saying it like that i don't know good morning in welsh thank you so much um okay so what are we going to be talking about today um nadia said uh you need to talk about taylor swift and kim k and i'm like do i 
Apparently their spat is continuing. Uh, we're going to be, uh, Kemi Badendock has talked about the idea that gender affirming care for children uh, is a form of conversion therapy, according to Kemi Badenoch, the Tory minister. Um, and she she's the Women and Equalities Minister, and she's uh, looking to change, um, change, change the law in some sort of way to protect youngsters against what she feels is pressure to convert uh, gender. Um, we're going to be talking about a direct threat to the enjoyment of crackers, um, we're going to be talking about Hugh Grant hating playing an Oompa Loompa in Wonka. It's the big movie release of the weekend. I wasn't going to do this, but then I read the story and I thought, no, I am going to do it. Because when there's an arse, there's an arse. I'm going to be talking about bad Santas. And we've got a good example of a bad Santa in Hollywood here. And it's disappointing when you discover who the bad Santa is. Any guesses who the bad Santa might be? God! What a disappointment. And obviously, right at the end, for those who, uh, for whatever reasons, perhaps for your own mental health, um, you, you know, uh, your, your, your political persuasion, perhaps, because uh, we make no, no secret of the fact that our hearts are very much with all innocents in the uh, uh, Palestine-Israel crisis. And whilst there are obviously all of the innocent uh, hostages and families uh, still caught up in this, in this absolute horror, um, there are also a disproportionate number uh, on the other side uh, caught up in the horror too, and obviously partially Arabic family. You know, we, we, we are coming at things from that side. Though, you know, our, our, our compassion is for all sides in terms of innocence, in terms of innocence. Um, so we'll be talking about that towards the end because I know it's a, it's a, it's a polarising topic and it can cause great upset and dis distress and upset. And so it's better that we don't hijack the chat with that and we'll do it right at the end. Um, so has anyone guessed who Bad Santa might be? The presenter, I saw the presenter flipping the bird, the BBC presenter. Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? Just before they, they must have come out of the um, the sting, the digital sting, and you're coming out of the break or something. And then they come back to the BBC presenter. And as they cut to her, she's like, obviously doing that to the crew. I, You know, things like that. I like that. Wasn't there that sort of, uh, I, it shows humanity. It shows they're human. I love a mistake. I mean, within reason. Um, what's the name of that shakanaka? Was it Shaka Shakanaka, the weather presenter? Didn't he do a finger? Didn't he do a finger? Yeah, we were, I was going to show that, but that's what it's too social. Um, yeah, he struck me as yucky. You can well imagine doing that, can't you? And she does it on the BBC News. <laughs> Went to her and they showed it. Um, oh, Sarah Fox, listening to Boris squirm at the COVID inquiry yesterday, lost 5,000 WhatsApp messages. It's called delete. Yep. There you go. Um so, so yeah, let's, let's move on. It's, it's normal. We all do that. Exactly, Mandilu. Making a mistake is always normal. We get, you know, it's like we were saying the other day in one of the one of the coffee mornings. It's like we're now not allowed to be be wrong. It's like obviously not hate, race hate, or anything like that. Why are we allowed to be wrong? Why can't I be wrong? And when I mean wrong, it's like you're in the wrong. Yeah, all right. I mean, so what? I, my emotions got me, and uh, you know, we, we, you can't be wrong. Like you can't get lost anymore, can you? With Google Maps and um, sat nav, you just can't get lost. Though Nadia makes a pretty good stab of it, if I'm honest. Hi, Carla Hatcham. Um, Shaffermacher's finger. It was Shaffermacher's finger, wasn't it? Shaffermacher's finger. I just want to keep saying that. It's fantastic. Shaffermacher's finger sounds like it should be. I don't know. Some kind of tourist attraction in I don't know Holland. Shaffermacher's 
finger. Okay, so what is the span? Who, who who here is a is she called Swifty? Who here is a Taylor Swift fan? Does anyone here like Taylor Swift? It's a huge. I mean, obviously, lots of people do. She's massively successful, sells out uh, tours and albums and all that malarkey. Anyone love Taylor Swifty? Taylor Swifty, yeah. Uh, oh, where are you going, Shafanaka's finger? <laughs> I think that should be our new Shafanaka's finger. Why don't I'm going to start using that as a warning when something's going to happen? Um, right, let's have a look. Gemma Perry, nope, she's annoying. Why? Why, why do you find her annoying? Every time I see her interviewed, I sort of think oh, she's kind of all right. Uh, couldn't tell you one song she's done, Russ. Actually, neither could I. I haven't got, haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. Um, uh, I like her music, says Danica. Seems to treat her fans well. Very generous. Deserves a success. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the story. TMZ. 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 Uh, no apology from Kim K over leaked famous call with Kanye. This is to do reading into this, which is well, this feels like this is a spat about not very much, or is it? This is allegedly about the idea that Kanye was going to feature lines about Taylor Swift, some racy kind of suggestive lines. Uh, there was a phone call. Um, and he was going to, but, but Taylor Swift was upset because he was going to refer to her as his bitch. Um, and, and King K said, uh, he didn't, we didn't. And then, and then Taylor Swift said, you've edited what you recorded. And then Kim K said, I never edited the footage, another lie. I only posted a few clips on Snapchat. And then Taylor said, if you're going to apologize, you're going to have to apologize publicly. And then Kim K said, not very much, because she's not going to apologize. Is that right? I think that's it. I think I think that's pretty much it. So Taylor Swifty feels like she's owed an apology, not because she likes to stress, not because she's actually pissed off with what was originally said by Kanye calling her a bitch or his bitch. But because Kim K lied about whether he said it at all and pretended that she didn't, he didn't. So there you go. Whose side are you on, Kim K or Taylor Swift's fight? I think Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk should have their bout just before Kim K and Taylor lock horns. It's a he said, she said, Teresa Hutchinson. You're absolutely right. It's when you get into a school playground, isn't it? You walk, I, I, feel like, I feel like deputy head of the year, and I'm kind of walking out to the go, Taylor, Kim, separate, get to that side of the playground. You get, right. What did she say? What did he, this is a she said, he said, she said, she said. Well, there's no he here, but there is, there's a Kanye. Behave yourselves, be friends, say sorry, make up. Otherwise, it's detention. That's what it's going to be. I'm on the side of I don't care. Francesca Bastos. That's exactly the side I'm on. So there we go. So let's move off Taylory, Taylory, Taylory. Uh, I heard Kim was Kim was great, apparently, in American Horror Story. Apparently, American Horror Story, the series was shit, but she was brilliant. And she's landed a new uh, comedy feature film, I think. And she's also in a new crime series uh, with the producers of American uh, Horror Story. So, so let's part of the conflict to the side for a minute. Looks like Kim Kardashian's new pivot towards actress as she enters her 40s. Is she 40? I think she is 40. Uh, it's going to succeed. It's gonna, she's moving in the yeah, new direction, new iteration. Could we see her do a Lady Gaga? Could she be nominated for an Oscar or an Emmy or something? 
there you go, guys. You heard it here first. We well, didn't. I heard it somewhere else first. And then you heard it here. And then you probably didn't hear it here first. Do you know what I mean? Who hears anything first? What is this? Heard it here first. No one heard anything first. Well, someone did. The first person who said something. You know what I'm getting at. Okay, let's get serious for a minute. Gender-affirming care for children is a form of conversion therapy. Discuss, says Kemi Badenoch. Now, Kemi Badenoch is one of, was one of the politicians, conservative politicians, obviously, who ran for the leadership. Um, she's the woman and Women and Equalities Minister, um, and she says that legislation has to address issues with gender-affirming care, which some critics argue is not the right approach for young people who are questioning their gender identity. Now, the idea behind this is, or the discussion behind this is, the extent to which young people, I think she goes further to say that she thinks, and I think this is a very contentious suggestion, she suggests that perhaps some young adults or children that are pushed, she feels pushed or encouraged or steered towards gender realignment or, or change, she is suggesting could simply be gay. Um, and in the evolution of sexual awakening and gender identity awakening in your teenage years, her suggestion is that some youngsters are being um, sort of pushed down towards making decisions uh, that are, if not irreversible, are kind of, sometimes kind of irreversible. She uses, she uses this case study um, as an example, she said, um, girls like Kira Bell, who were rushed onto puberty blockers by the NHS and had a double mastectomy, now regret the irreversible damage done to them. And I believe this could be a, or she says, I believe this is a new form of conversion therapy. Um, she said, uh, she said that doctors were fearful of giving honest clinical advice to a child because if they do not automatically affirm and medicalize a child's new gender, they, the doctor, will be labelled transphobic. What do you think? What do you think about this? I mean, I think this is an incredibly complex um, topic. And as I understand things, I've heard that there are there are there is an increase in the number of young adults who start. I mean, I can think of someone that we know, who friend of a friend, whose daughter. Um, wanted to start the process of uh, transitioning to male, uh, to being a boy, um, and uh, started the process of hormone blocking and, and, and what have you. And then two years or a year and a half in, um, you know, and the parents had, had to sort of really move and, and, you know, all the adjustments that have to happen. I mean, none of these things happen lightly, you know. Um, um, which can say, uh, is What's that? I saw Lee Durant say something on a live event for a famous couple, which concerned me. I don't understand what you're saying, Julie. Sorry. Um, yeah, about Lee. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm dropping Lee a line because I noticed that he hasn't been here, Lee Durant. Um, I hope you're well, Lee. If you're watching, um, I'm going to reach out to you later today. Um, uh, what was I saying? Where was I? What was I saying? Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's complex. So I think there are more cases of people who are uh, potentially, potentially, you know, confused. Oh, yeah, I was talking about the person that we knew. And then, of course, then they decided that they didn't want to transition. And in the reversal, there was as much readjustment and realignment for the for the entire, you know, for the entire family and everything that goes with it. So I think, you know, um, is this something that needs to be protected more 
Um, is it necessary? I don't necessarily think it is conversion therapy. I do wonder whether a certain type of fear has crept into caregivers. I think it's, I'm not saying it's equivalent, but I, you know, there are some topics where if one gets too eggshelly around the ability to converse and ask questions and debate and discuss without fear of somehow being seen as, you know, you know, I don't know, um, transphobic or something like that, and you're not, you're just trying to better understand something that's incredibly complicated and incredibly uh, potentially traumatic in every way, you know, from a, you know, not embracing a child's desire to transition to embracing it, to embracing it and then having to unembrace it because the child's unembraced it. So, um, you know, I, I think there, I think there does need to be at such a confusing point in your life some kind of checks and balances around the idea that under a certain age you can't or you shouldn't necessarily be able to make moves or make drastic moves that sort of almost irreversibly change your change your life. The the the, the case that she's talking about here, uh, I think they had, uh, I think they had, did they have a mastectomy? And then, and then, she, then she tried to sue. She successfully sued the clinic that did it. This girl. Um, so you know, it's complicated. It's complicated. Francesca Bastos. I think it's bullshit. The percentage of people who regret transition is so small, but they make the news. Ah, oh, good point. And the numbers of suicide for people who are denied it is so high. It's all documented. That's interesting. I also, I also believe, and I understand that there's a very well monitored. Um, you know, transition period, isn't there? Sort of like, isn't it six months or six to 12 months where, you know, you bed in and you think about things? I think, I personally think, is there just, and I'm, this might be the case for most people, is there not just a way of being able to gently take a young adult uh, to, sort of hormonally towards, if you like, their gender destination in a way that if there's any pause, halt, shift, change, change of, not necessarily hard, but, you know, that sort of identity confusion, crisis, whatever you want to call it, if that kicks in again, um, is there any way, you know, that it's reversible in a way that's not going to be, you know, long-term damaging and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? It's massive. It's a mammoth, a mammoth decision and, and, and thing to realise about yourself. I do, I, do, I do worry, though, and I, I hear exactly what you're saying, Francesca Bastos, and I agree. I think we are in a situation, and I think where... In any topic, on any subject, if conversations about it are made difficult for fear of offence all the time, and this isn't about hate and this isn't about, you know, uh, prejudice, this is about understanding, then, you know, what can happen is well-meaning people can end up sort of erring on the side of caution um, and can make some big mistakes because they don't want to be called this, that or the other. Um, I mean, a small kind of similar thing is, 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 you know, the fear, which I think is so un, inaccurate of, not the fear, but the, the, the attempt in the media to suggest that if you are critical of Israel, you're somehow anti-Semitic. It's the same. It doesn't mean that. You know, if you're asking a question about the rights and wrongs of, of how to help youngsters come to terms with their trans, you know, their gender identity, it doesn't mean you're anti-trans. It, it just doesn't, surely. I mean, we've got to be able to have a discussion about these things. Um, Danica, there's a trans male YouTuber, as popular as up, that came out as trans, had one appointment and then was booked for a mastectomy. That's too soon, in my opinion. However, that was an adult. Wow. 
I mean, here's another aspect to all of this that I think doesn't get discussed. And this is, a, this is appropriate to nearly everything. I mean, I saw a story today saying that hearing aids, that sales of hearing aids are going to go through the roof. And that, yeah, of course, you know, more as we, you know, can analyze things more, et cetera. There's always a fear, isn't there? And it's the same fear that we've had around big pharma is that as soon as private clinics are in the, involved in all these things, you, you do kind of start to worry that off the NHS or off regulated kind of out of regulated institutions, um, you know, is there just money in this? And so, you know, someone somewhere is is going to make a killing from the idea of encouraging people to make. You know, I hate the the financial aspect of healthcare. It's it's such a pernicious and Faustian kind of relate. I don't see. It's like, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say, but it's like if your company is is in the business of curing cancer, there's no two ways. There's no other way of looking at this other than you need cancer to be there. Do you know what I mean? If you were to cure it and solve it completely, um, you could, in the end, remove your market. Do you know what I mean? There's just There seems to be something in it that's quite sort of... As soon as I saw that hearing aids were going to you know, be sold and, and, and yeah, glasses... Glasses is another classic one. You know, It's like, yeah, you know, we need to kind of wear glasses, kind of in some scenarios, absolutely, of course. But then I know that my eyesight has only got weaker since I ever first took the first pair of reading glasses rather than anyone saying to me, why don't you try some eye exercises? Anyway, that was a weird one. Anyway, there you go. Um, other news, Sean Diddy Coombs uh, is accused of gang rape of 17-year-old girl in fourth sexual assault claim. I'm not, and I am unfamiliar with any of Sean Diddy Coombs' music, Combs, Coombs. Um, but this is a big deal. He seems to, I think this is the fourth sexual assault uh, allegation that's come across him, come against him. I think he settled out of court on the first um, and more have come through. And this is a, oh, just bear with me one sec. Toffee, get off my leg. Get off my leg, Toffs. Toffee. Ah. Get off. Get off. Hello, sorry about that. Where were we? Come back. Boom, boom. Um, bullshit is a great word. Um, so, yeah. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, more more accusations. This is a particularly horrible one, though. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details, but that's a big story that keeps keeps coming up. And it's it's like, you know, God, they the, the more they come, the more a sort of systemic pattern seems to be creeping through. Then, uh, wow. 
Um, moving on to lighter stories, let's look at this. Um, who here has ever taken a wee in public? You've been caught short, you were on the motorway, you needed to pull over, you needed to go, you just you had no choice. If you were Dina, you may have even found yourself almost sharting in a car or something like that. Has anyone, I mean, and Nadia almost put her bag in Soho the other night into a, um, into a male urinal in Soho Square. Um, does, has anyone been caught short, gone for, gone to the loo in public? Sarah Fox, only on a remote mountainside. Uh, it's good chip lollipop, Sainsbury's bag for life. There, you know, it really needs to be a bag for life to cope with Nads. Um, and uh, has anyone, I, I mean, I've been caught, I've been caught on, on countless times. I've been caught countless times um, needing to go for a wee. But uh, I'll always try and get inside somewhere because there's just that thing of, oh, even when you're on a walk in the woods, you're just like, oh, my God, I don't want us to, I don't want us to be caught, you know, caught in the act or anything like that. Stacy, you are Santa. We're going to call you Santa Randall from now on. You are Santa Randall. Bless you. Very sweet. Ten free memberships there to various, various people. Here, you're suddenly going to be anonymously um, become a, a family guest. Um, so why am I asking you if you've got caught? So a man who took a wee in a lay-by was fined for littering. What do you think of this? 69-year-old man, Michael Mason, he had a weakened prostate, which of course is an issue for many men. Lots of women struggle with, you know, being able to, you know, incontinence and needing to wee suddenly. Um he went for a discreet wee, but was handed an £88 fine for littering. Um, uh, is it, I mean, the question is, is it littering and is it offensive? And I think it's tricky, this one, because there's many times I've been out in central London and you're driving around. And that's why they put these sort of strange urinal structures in places. The Soho Square is quite a good place because it's quite badly lit and you know, but I mean, as a woman, why would you, you wouldn't want to go near Soho Square because there'd be loads of men there weeing. Um, because men just wee, you know, there was even a photograph of Killian Murphy going for a wee alongside an alley by a pub in Soho. So weeing in public, you know, it's, I think men, again, it's that thing of some men are quite happy to just leave their stomach just out for the world and they don't care. Uh, some men don't, don't mind just flopping it out and going for a wee. I, the other day I was driving somewhere and a cyclist had just stopped tilted to the side and was weeing out the side of his shorts. I find it disgusting. And it's a difficult one to explain to your kids. But I think one has to judge the situation. I think more often than not, if it's a man over a certain age, it's safe to, and, it's, and it's not late at night and they're not drunk, then perhaps, you know, trust that it might be a prostate situation. I mean, I remember, and I, I'm sorry to share this with you for, you might want to mute me for a second, but I remember going for a run, I think I've shared it before, running past, oh, they're so rank, aren't they, Reese? Um, I remember running past uh, the church graveyard, not too far from home, and there was a man taking a poo in the, in the churchyard. You know, it's, you know, I mean, sometimes, I mean, obviously, you've got to think, you know, is the person homeless? I mean, where, where on earth are they going to be able to go to the toy, or toy, toilet and all that kind of thing? But is it littering? It's going for a wee littering. I tell you what, Natasha Haynes, unfortunately, some have left unwanted deposits on platforms, waiting rooms and stations when the toilets are locked because of vandalism. Something I noticed very much on the subway in New York was when someone goes for a poo, they don't half go for a poo. Sorry about that. Lorry drivers pee in plastic bottles and throw them out their windows. Oh, Jackie Valina, do they? Oh, Teresa Hutchinson, I went to Japan in October. The one thing I noticed was that you were never too far from a public loo. 
All of the loos I used were clean and tidy and none smelt like old wee like UK public toilets. I mean, we are toilet. Let's improve our loos, guys. But I mean, let's face it, if you can't fill a pothole, you're not going to get a cleaner toilet, are you? Um, crackers. Who likes crackers? I love a cracker. For me, a cracker is a great moment. Although, let's be honest, when you don't pull the longest end of the cracker, i.e. you don't get the gift, the hat or the joke, does a little part of you die? It does in me. I almost take it personally. I think, you know, work with my therapist has helped me with this. I I don't take it so personally, but a little part of me thinks it's a little bit like when you do the wishing bone. It's like you think, oh, that's happened once too many times now. This has to be symbolic of something. Does anyone else get that? And what about when you use a cracker and it doesn't crack? Is that what it's called, a cracker? Bang. Why aren't they called bangers? Yeah, Ellen, I really want the middle. Have you ever pulled a cracker, not one, and then literally launched yourself at the person opposite? You savaged them and pulled it for yourself. Or have you said you held it wrong? You held it too far up the stem. And then you reach over for another one for a second go. What's wrong with that? Teresa Hutchison, who hates it when the snap doesn't snap? Why aren't they called snappers? (laughs) That's something else. So what do you do? You go searching for the little bit of filament. And you get it. And if you're an ADHD boy like me, you put it right next to your nose and you pull it to see if it hurts your nose. And then you do, you do hurt your nose. You get scabbed. And it's there all Christmas. Anne-Marie Shellard, I've got to share this. Anne-Marie Shellard, someone farted in front of me in the queue yesterday. Uh, we laughed because he was absolutely mortified, but it was gross. Oh, bless him. Bless him. An unprepared fart. You know, when someone just goes... You can have a, you can be disgusted, but with someone that's caught someone, it's like, oh, you poor thing. Uh, Carla Hatcham, it's not Christmas without a bad joke and a paper hat. I was in, we were having um, a quick bite and drink with an old friend of ours who's over briefly from LA. He might be watching, Jordan. And uh, I looked to my right and there was a table full of older people, I'll be polite, uh, all with Christmas hats on. I've never seen a more miserable bunch of, of people in my life. They all look, there is something, the Christmas hat in a cracker needs to change. There's something about the way it's, it's positioned on people's heads that makes people look like they've walked straight out of the royal family and they're an ignored member at the end of a table. Don't you feel that? Ah, oh, John Kerry farted on stage, did he? Bloody hell. Sarah Fox, once a year at the Christmas table, yes, finding where the toys have pinged to is another matter. And who loves the tiny screwdriver you get in some of them, which all dads put somewhere really safe, use for a couple of things in, in one Christmas, and then the next Christmas when everyone goes, quite reasonably, where's that tiny screwdriver, dad? You haven't got a clue. You haven't got a clue, because you maybe used it to, I don't know, pull some dog poo out of your shoe from walking around the garden or something like Good chip lollipop. You're absolutely right. Miserable people with a Christmas hat on are the funniest thing. It's the greatest. In fact, I want to get, I want a competition. I want to see a picture gallery of all the most miserable people with Christmas hats on. It's almost like as soon as you put it on, you just look distraught, dejected, and alone. There's nothing more alone than someone with a Christmas hat from a crack. Anyway, what's the story? Shut up, Mark. Silent night. Christmas dinner may be quieter as a major supplier of crackers is removing the snap. Guys, they're taking the snap out of our crackers for climate purposes, because apparently it's the one part of a cracker that's utterly unrecyclable. 
Um, Alliance National, one of Britain's largest catering suppliers, has announced it will offer crackless crackers. Well, it's not a freaking cracker, is it? Look, silver fulminate strips. I mean, none of us are using those words at the Christmas table, are we? Um, have you seen the silver fulminate strip? It didn't bang. The strips have been used since 1860. God, imagine the excitement in 1860. And presumably, I mean, I don't know if records exist to prove this, but the first cracker ever pulled, I guess, in 1860, could well have done quite a bit of damage, right? I mean, you know, how much do you put of the silver fulminate? How much of this silver fulminate do you put in the strip? Um, so environmentally friendly crackers are now going to come out with a note, get this, in the box, encouraging users that as they pull and tug their cracker, they should make some noise to cover the absence of the snap. The note also says, this is part of our journey to make Christmas a celebration of responsibility. There's a dark part of me, guys, that doesn't want the planet to get better after everything we said about climate change. And I'm with you and I'm signing up to it. And I know about climate anxiety like the rest of us. But I'm telling you right now, yes, Julie Hilton, I'm telling you right now, if you take the snap out of our crackers, what's Christmas about? I've had it. You can't take the snap out of the cracker. Find somewhere else to recycle or do something. You can't do it. Christmas is cancelled. Oh. Don't ask me about the chalet, Mark Burgess. Just don't mention the chalet. I have had... You're going to find out tonight. The chalet moves on tonight. There's movement with the chalet. Get the, got the smallest grater and a cracker for tiny cheese for baby bell. Has anyone ever played cards with the tiny pack of cards that you get in some crackers? I don't think so. Why not not produce all the shitty gifts that you put in them with all of the carbon footprint and keep the silver fulminate? Come on, guys, get your priorities right. Okay, uh, moving on. Hugh Grant hated playing an Oompa Loompa. And I have to say it, it kind of, you can kind of see that on his face. Uh, in sort of junket interviews promoting the film, he said, when asked, did he enjoy it? He said, no. He said, it was like a crown of thorns, very uncomfortable because he had to have multiple cameras all on his face, capturing all his facial expressions. Um, he was told to use his body in certain ways. And whenever he asked for direction, they didn't give him it. So he didn't know what he was doing with his body because apparently it was being done in CGI. Got to go. Just one second. I will be back. Some. It's a busy old day today. It's a busy old day today. I'll chuck an advert in there. <laughs>
uh, what was I saying? He won't complain if the film does good. I think he will. I think he will. So Hugh Grant said, I made a big fuss about it. I couldn't have hated the whole thing more, he said. Um, he didn't receive a satisfactory answer as to what he was supposed to do with his body. Um, and he said, frankly, what I did with my body was terrible. I quite like how honest he is. It's just so refreshing, isn't it? Um, asked if he liked the final product, the film. He said, not really. <laughs> but he said, I've got lots of kids. So I took on the role. Uh, but anyway, more, more seriously, though, um, a lot of actors uh, with dwarfism are pushing back against the film, feeling, uh, and, and I know there's a lot of debate about, um, oh, Reese Roberts, let's just share this, sorry, Reese. Um, I had it to the back teeth of you complaining about every damn thing, despite being one of the most privileged British, British actors and that he's always able to, always able to be playing British. I know what you mean. It's kind of, he's trying, it's okay to a, to a degree, isn't it? But it seems like he's got this problem with everything. I mean, you know, dour, droll, self-deprecating. I mean, I like it when he, when he described himself as looking like a scrotum, I thought that was fun. But what do we think about the dwarfism thing? It strikes me that the dwarfism debate around this and the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs film, obviously the pushback comes from various members of the dwarfist community. I know some people don't like that word. Um, other people do. It's, um, it's debated, so apologies um, if you are of the ilk that doesn't. I'm saying it as it's reported in, in the articles. Um, say that this is outrageous that Hugh Grant was given a role that would have quite naturally and normally fallen towards a section of the acting community that is often not cast enough, unless you're Peter Dinklage, who, who hoovers up most of the roles. And yet at the same time, Russ, it is taking jobs away from Dawson, and yet at the same time, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Most swords are double-edged, aren't they? It's a double-edged... Is that the same? Double-edged sword? Yeah. Um, it's a double-edged sword? Um, double-edged knife. Double-edged. Double-edged. Something double-edged. Um, in that, you know, on the one hand, yes, you want those roles to go towards, like in Willow, you know, towards naturally people of the dwarfist uh, community. Um, but at the same time, as Amy May says, a lot of people with dwarfism also complain that they're only hired to play funny, silly characters. You can't please everyone. I suppose the answer is, is to have roles alongside the silly, funny uh, roles that are not those things. I, I, and I suppose, again, maybe there's as much resentment. Thank you, Jackie Bellina. I feel like I look like a scrotum too. Um, maybe, maybe there's as much umbrage with um, Peter Dinklage. I mean, he seems to hoover up all the roles, does he not? Anyway... I think one has to go and see Wonka. Have you seen it, Reese? One has to see Wonka just to see Hugh Grant as, a, as an Oompa Loompa, if I'm honest. And also, I think uh, Timothy Chalamet's coming for a little bit of stick. I, I think he looks really good in it. All cats are, not mincing your words at all. Uh, Hugh Grant's a blooming ingrate. Got away with playing the same character his whole career. <sighs> he does play himself. Finally, who's Bad Santa? Has anyone guessed who Bad Santa is? I think Wonka looks like a perfect Christmas movie, if you ask me. And, you know, what better perfect Christmas movie to start every single virtual British actress and actor uh, that you know, familiar faces in it. Uh, it's one of those films, and it's like Paddington. Um, Tim, Tim, Tim Allen. Tim Allen is Bad Santa. This is a story uh, that's come out where a co-star, uh, they've turned the Santa Claus into a series um, Disney Plus series called The Santa Clauses. I've always had a bit of time for Tim Allen. I was, it was good. Did anyone remember that film where he played a dog 
uh, or he was a human in a, a dog was in his body and he had the big tongue and he licked his face and he had to run around. I'm not, I'm not suggesting for a minute he did it. He did it. He did it himself. But it was funny. It was funny. Um, so, no, this isn't about Bad Santa, the film. This is he's a bad Santa because Tim Allen's co-star, Casey Wilson, has accused him of being so fucking rude on the set of Disney's The Santa Clauses. Um, she said, and this is so in a re- recent episode of her Bitch Sesh podcast, Saturday Night Live alum, uh, alum Wilson said that working with Alan was the single worst experience I've ever had with a co-star ever. Tim Allen, isn't Tim Allen the voice or was the voice of the original Buzz Lightyear? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, Tim Allen. She, so she says working with him on, on the set of this new series was Tim Allen was such a bitch. Um, I'm in a scene. It's just me and Tim Allen, and I'm supposed to throw things at him. I think he's a burglar. So he's coming down the chimney, obviously at Santa, and I'm woken up thinking there's an intruder. She continued, so I'm throwing things at him. And then he goes over to the producer who's standing four feet from me. And I hear him say, you've got to tell her to stop stepping on my lines. The producer turns to me with horror, walks up to me and says, "Uh, Tim would ask that you stop stepping on his lines. Wilson, the woman, the co-star of Tim Allen said, everybody was walking on eggshells. People looked frantic. When he was done, he was so rude. He didn't make eye, eye contact. He just dropped his Santa cloak and said, I'm leaving. And someone apparently turned to her and said, this is him on a good day. What? We don't want to hear that. How disappointing. Oh, you've heard that too, Susan Sellings, that he's rude, that he's so rude. I know he kicked up a fuss, didn't he, because he didn't voice Buzz Lightyear in an animated version of it. What a disappointment. What I don't understand is, how can you not have an awareness? How can you not have an awareness? Oh, Reese, that doesn't surprise me. When I was in Cannes last year, I met a guy who was working on a yacht. He was renting and said he was so insufferably rude, mean and dismissive. How can you get like that? This is bullshit, says Edward Bevington. Oh, I don't know. It's just a shame, isn't it, when you hear stuff like this. It's weird that she's come out. She said she wasn't going to talk about it. And then she said, but, you know, I've got had to get past it. And she just said it. So, yeah, anyway. Insecurity can create monsters. Maybe he wants to be more than remembered as Buzz Lightyear's voice. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know, I suppose Tom Hanks has got so many other roles alongside Woody. But what's wrong with but not being with being Buzz Lightyear? I can't see anything wrong with that. Pausing just for a moment. We're going to have to go quick. Um, oh, God, yeah, I've got to go quick. Um, Israel and Gaza. So if you're wanting to take a time out on this, um, now's your opportunity. Obviously, we're not all going to agree on this, um, but nothing is said with any... Uh, one common theme in all of our discussions is the humanity of all innocents caught up in this, and we include the families of the still existing hostages, uh, the families of the returned hostages and the hostages themselves, and, of course, the uh, the humanitarian crisis that is developing in Gaza. Now, um, I was going to play you a film, um, but I can't get the audio to work. But it might... Let me see if I can play it just with... Uh, I don't know if I can just play it with... Um, this is a... Uh, yeah, no, there's there's no um, there's no captions. So anyway, this was the story. Uh, you know, leaflets, pamphlets being dropped on uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, telling them to get down, basically move down to Rafa. I mean, the Rafa crossing with Egypt. It's almost uh, we're almost in a, a couple of developments. We're in a situation where pretty much Israel is asking the vast majority of the 2.2 million population. 
to essentially squeeze up almost against the gate or the fence at the bottom of Gaza, uh, which presents all sorts of clear humanitarian crises issues. Um, countless, countless heads of various organizations, whether it be aid agencies, humanitarian aid agencies, the United Nations, um, have said that this is becoming, um, well, becoming, if not become, a, a huge humanitarian crisis, an apocalyptic situation, famine is creeping in, disease and death is going to start, uh, you know, adding to the casualties list. Whilst we have official figures of around, I'm going to say official, everyone, you know, <laughs> It's this idea that we trust one side's figures more than the other. But the, uh, the official figures coming out are 16,000 deaths known in Gaza, with over 7,000 still beneath rubble. Um, and obviously, the, none of this will account for the number of people who are dying are from you know, injuries afterwards, etc. Uh, other news aspects of this, Israel is, is considering, or if not getting ready, to flood the uh, tunnel networks under Gaza City with seawater, um, on one level, you can see how this would work as a strategic tactical measure um, in terms of the belief that, you know, obviously Hamas are, you know, hidden under, under, underground and use these networks of, of tunnels. It presents a couple of dilemmas, though, for Israel and everyone insofar as where are the hostages? And if they're in there, how do you not know or how do you know that you're not going to, you know, flood them out? Uh, but also, it, you know, flooding the tunnels with seawater will also... Um, salinate, poison, destroy what little, um, you know, proper water or good water or usable water there is in, in Gaza. I think um, what we're witnessing is something um, that is like a very, it, it seems to, things seem to be happening in, in, in slow motion, but the intensity on the, on the ground is getting worse and worse and worse because, of course, if you imagine you're squeezing a population into a tinier and tinier and tinier sort of space, uh, but you're still uh, bombing and you're still shooting and you're still fighting. Um, so, you know, the so the Israel, the Israel Gaza scenario isn't good. Um, at the moment, news just in Israel says it's striking a Hamas stronghold in Jabalia refugee camp. Uh, it seems like there's no stomach now even to query the strategic, um, the strategy of hitting places it, it feels like the collateral damage outrage that surrounds some of these you know civilian strikes in pursuit of Hamas you know that that debate seems to have sort of lessened it's like people you can only keep saying it so many times but is this the right way to do it so you know you have to you know is is flooding is flooding the tunnels a different way of achieving the same goal I think it would be really encouraging at this point though it, at too little too late to uh, try and find some kind of, um, or to demonstrate some capacity or willingness to kind of adopt measures or, or, or tactics that aren't so sort of uh, damaging to, to innocents and civilians. And I'd also like to say yet again, because it, it gets forgotten, that it seems to be that there's only, a, you know, the only justified statistics to be upset about when it comes to... Um, when it comes to the Palestinian casualties, is women and children. You know, <laughs> almost the inference being that if you're a Palestinian man, you're not innocent. I mean, it's, it's outrageous. And by the same measure, I'd have thought also that many of the families of the male hostages that are still held or weren't released 
are likewise, you know, okay, I understand that there's that like the Titanic, you know, you get the vulnerable and you get the women and you get the elderly out first and men are last. But there's this kind of, you know, obviously they're the majority of the soldiers when they are soldiers, but it's an appalling, you know, for so many Palestinian families um, and hostage families, uh, they have sons who will be young adults who are innocents. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't get sort of a qualification even in the reporting of the news. Um, Reese Roberts, uh, the fact it's going to spill over into whole new years also more worrisome leaves room for things to get more propulsive. There are predictions for a serious global war in 2024. Uh, the UN called for a ceasefire and has hit the alarm button, which is very rare, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? There's like, I mean, I always remember, and this is not making light of anything, but Robin Williams years ago, the stand-up comedian, he used, he did a sketch about, I presume it was about the first uh, desert storm, you know, um, Iraqi war. And his line about it was, you know, that the kind of the, the defense idea was something like, you know, this is the line, you cross it, you die. Oh, no, this is the line. Oh, no, this is. The, and the line just keeps on changing for the point at which serious, you know, ramifications kind of appear. And it feels a little bit like that with the UN. They keep sort of drawing the next sort of, and each time they make an assessment or they call for a ceasefire, um, interestingly, Israel simply say they're, they're biased. We're in a weird situation where it feels like a temperamental teenager, when told that they've done something wrong, has, is finding reasons and ways to always disqualify what a really serious organization's assessment of a situation is. I don't understand how... It's like that thing of... I couldn't have the I couldn't have the confidence to just say this is how it is without any self and you know so there's the idea that there's no even moment of sort of mm, maybe maybe if the UN has said this there could be some truth in this that's the part of it that I find really disturbing in much the same way as I did with the Tories during covid it's the lack it's the apparent lack of humanity or capacity to see behind things which which worries me um so anyway so there we go um, oh, Benjamin Zephaniah has died. Oh, Benjamin Zephaniah, the poet, author. He was also in Peaky Blinders. Oh, that's sad. That is sad. What a lovely, wonderful man. My God, Benjamin Zephaniah. Sorry for anyone who doesn't know. He's a, a, was, he born, was he born in Birmingham? He had a strong accent. I can't remember. Anyway, Benjamin Zephaniah. He's passed away. 65. My God, that's so young. Anyway, sending you all regards. Obviously, Vlogmas will be landing later today um, and all sorts of other weird shit too. So have a good day. Take care and 